0: But take your Bible uh, here and open it to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19, I tried to, as I was praying, thinking, gosh, what would I do on my first kind of official formal message at Grace Church of the Valley, realizing I'm here this week, then gone a couple weeks, then back, and here a couple weeks in the month of March. And so I thought I would take us back to that familiar psalm in Psalm Chapter 19, where it recites the works and the words of God, and then focus our attention on verses 7 through 11. So let me read that, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. I think I'm going to cross over to the ESV. Is that okay, Jeremy? Maybe I'll do that. It's okay, okay, I'll do that. It'd be easier. than you wouldn't have to go out and buy a new Bible, I will, will, right? Most of you are holding that. But I think the Scripture's close. But it says there that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. Here is the transforming power of the Word of God. It was Luther who said, For it is decreed that God will not be seen, known, or comprehended except through His Word alone. For He did not cause it to be written to no purpose, Luther said. He did not want it to lie there in neglect as if He were speaking with mice under the bench or with flies on the pulpit. We are to read it, to think it, to speak about it, and to study it, certain that he himself, not an angel or a creature, is speaking with us in it. And when Luther was asked about the accomplishments, his own accomplishments as a reformer, Luther said, quote, I simply taught, preached, and wrote the word of God, otherwise I did nothing, and he said the word did it all. And I thought, what a statement. The Word did it all. And as I think about my beginning here, what other, what other aspect would I turn to but that we would keep our focus as it has been on the power of the Word of God. Jesus, of course, said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from where? From the mouth of God. Now, as you walk into this psalm, and we'll just get as far as we can, okay, I don't think we're going to get to all the notes. Johnny was looking at my notes this morning at breakfast, and he says, you got about two hours here, Dad. And I said, you're right. I probably have about four to six messages right there. But we'll get as far as we can, and maybe what I'll do is pick it up when I get back, okay? But I wanted these words to be the opening words as we continue on in our ministry here. Now, as you look at the overview of Psalm 19, there are two ways... Here in this psalm that God has revealed himself in the world. We call them the works and the word of God. And in Psalm 19, 1 through 6, David is showing us the revelation of God in creation. In fact, look at the opening line there. You certainly remember that where it says that the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Again, the revelation of God, He's revealed Himself in creation. Sometimes we refer to this in a theological construct as general revelation. Sometimes it's also called natural revelation, but it's the fact that God's revealed Himself through His created world. In other words, as we look into our world, we see the sky, we see the beauty of the trees, we contemplate the miraculous water cycle, we view the heavens, the stars and truly the heavens are declaring of the glory of God. And that is why it says in Psalm 14.1 that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But here, he's not only revealed himself in creation, but secondly, even what I would call the greater revelation of God is that he has revealed himself to us in his written Word. In other words, we would never know of God, we would never know of Jesus Christ, we would never know of the Holy Spirit, we would never know of the doctrine of salvation, we would never know about heaven, we would never know about the hope of eternal life if he had not spoken. But he's spoken is what the psalmist is saying. And he's spoken both in creation and he has spoken in his written word, which we call special revelation. I mean, how amazing is it that the God who made the universe has revealed himself personally to us in his word? Now, what I want to do is look at this overall structure with you in Psalm chapter 19. I'm going to look at six different titles of the word of God six different attributes of the Word of God, and then six effects of the Word of God, okay? So you're going to watch how this psalm's written. There's a title given of the Word of God, and I'll show you this in a moment. There's an attribute that describes that title, and then there is an effect, a transforming power that is accompanied with this powerful word. But let me just note for you quickly here, six distinctive titles for God's word, okay? They're all what we call just nouns. You can see them there. I think they're going to come up on the screen. There they are. It's called, the word of God is called the law of the Lord, verse 7. The second part of 7, it says that it's the testimony of the Lord, Verse 8, the Word of God, you'll see the distinct title there, is the precepts of the Lord. Verse 8 gives it another name, the commandment of the Lord. And then in verse 9, and we'll look at that, the Word of God is actually likened to the fear of the Lord. And then the Word of God in verse 9 is called the judgments of the Lord. Each of these lines is saying something about what the Bible is. And yet each line has its own unique contribution. Now, it's not hard to note that in these six phrases, we are told that the Scriptures are the Lord's. That's very important. In fact, I think it's interesting. You're reading in the English, and so am I. You'll note that it just says there that it's the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord. In the Hebrew, that term, therefore, Lord, is the word Jehovah. And it speaks of his covenant name. And I'm only making a distinction because if you go back to Psalm chapter 19, 1, look there, where it says that the heavens are telling of the glory of God, there that Hebrew term for God in verse 1 is the Hebrew term El, and it refers to him as creator God. But here, when you get to the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, that Hebrew term for Lord is Jehovah because it speaks of His covenant name that we have a relationship with Him. But I think what you want to note here in these distinctive titles is that God indeed has spoken. You're holding in your hand this morning the very breath of God. It says in the book of 2 Timothy that it is inspired by God. In fact, Peter used the phrase that they were men moved by God, moved by his spirits, spoke from God. You're holding in your hands the Word of God. And it's here shown first with these six distinctive titles. But secondly, just note for an overview, then it's given six descriptive qualities of God's Word, Okay. There's six descriptive qualities. You'll note in verse 7 that the Word of God is stated to be perfect. Verse 7, the Word of God is sure. Verse 8, thirdly, it says that the precepts of the Lord are right. And then the fourth one, in verse 8, it says that the commandment of the Lord is pure. It says in verse 9 that the fear of the Lord is clean. And it says that the judgments of the Lord are true. So as these qualities describe, if you will, the titles, the Word of God is stated to be perfect. The Word of God is stated to be sure, right, pure, clean, and true. But would you just note, thirdly though, there's six transforming effects of God's Word in the life of the believer. You could see it there beginning in verse 7, that the Word of God restores the soul. Verse 7, the word of God makes wise the simple. Verse 8, the word of God rejoices the heart. Verse 8, the word of God enlightens the eyes. The word of God here as its effect endures forever. And verse 9, it's righteous altogether. Those first four effects are what the scripture does for men. The remaining two there and those effects are what the scripture is in itself. So each line of God's Word breaks down with a distinctive title for God's Word, a descriptive adjective for God's Word, and a beneficial transforming effect of God's Word. And so what I want to do today and maybe in the weeks to come is look at this six-fold description of God's transforming power found in the Word of God. Okay? The transforming power found in the Word of God. There's a wonderful, wonderful promise here in this book. But let's look at the first couple, at least today. The first transforming power of the Word of God is we'll say that it restores the soul. It restores the soul. Let's pick up the text there in verse 7. It says there that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Just for a moment, that distinctive title. You're looking at it in your Bible, the law of the Lord. What is the law of the Lord? Well, the law just refers to the instruction of the Scripture. You can liken that word law to the doctrine of Scripture or just the teaching of Scripture. That law, the word there in that title is the word Torah. And it is a very general title or name given to the Scripture. I want to be clear with you that the law does not refer here, in this context, to the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, but here the law, when it describes the law of the Lord, is referring to the entire doctrine of God. It is referring to the whole counsel of God. And that term there, law, is a comprehensive term for God's revealed will found in His Word found both in the Old Testament and found in the New Testament. And so here is the whole counsel of God. Here is the instruction of God. Here is the teaching of the Scripture, and it's called the law of the Lord. Now, note what it gives in that descriptive adjective. It says there in verse 7 that the law of the Lord is perfect. Meaning here from the language, as you would understand it, it's without error. In other words, that word that's in your lap this morning is without deceit. That word that you hold is without defect. It is spotless. It is flawless. It is perfect. The idea here is that it is so complete that there is nothing that is missing. And so David begins to extol the wonders and the beauty of the Word of God, and he says that law, that instruction, is entirely perfect. I'm thinking of what Jesus said in John seventeen seven, when he said, "Thy Word is truth." And David, when he cried out in Psalm one nineteen verse sixty, when he said that the sum of your words is truth. In other words, it's perfect. Psalm 12, 6 says that the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace on the earth refined seven times. It's perfect. Proverbs 35 says that every word of God is tested, okay? I've been in some of the packing sheds here in recent years, and I see that fruit come off and they're inspecting, aren't they? And they're going down this belt and into this belt and there's cameras taking pictures and then there's people picking and selecting and they're pushing it off over here. But listen, when you talk about the word of God, every word of God is tested. Proverbs 30, verse five. And beloved, I'd say if something is perfect, then nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. And that's exactly what the cults do. They try to add to God's revelation. You know that. I mean, the Muslims have their scripture and it's called the what? The Koran. The Jehovah Witnesses have their scripture and the Mormons have their scripture. But listen, you're listening and holding the word of God. And the testimony of the word is this, is that is perfect in every way. Spurgeon, the great preacher said, it is a crime to add to it. It is a treason to alter it, and it is a felony to take from it. Now watch this. Because God's word is perfect, and it's the law of the Lord, look at the transforming beneficial effect in verse 7. There it just simply says, as you know it, that it's restoring the soul, okay? It restores the soul. God here employs His word as an instrument for restoration, as an instrument to revive us. In fact, some translations, is it Jeremy in the ESV, reviving the soul? Is that what it says? You understand, it's very similar to the NASB. The NASB says restores the soul, ESV reviving the soul. Maybe some of you grew up with an old King James version. You might be holding that translation today. Praise the Lord, it's a good translation. Do you know what it says there? It says that the law of the Lord is perfect. Do you remember that? And then it says converting the soul. And so there would be a question that some would say, what does this expressly mean? Is it talking that the word of God is so powerful that it can convert the soul? Or is it saying that the word of God is so powerful that it can revive the soul? You see, the King James translated that converting the soul. And certainly, that would be true of the Word of God. It says in James chapter 1 that we've been born again by that Word of God. Peter says that you've been born again with the precious Word. In other words, in theology, the Word of God is used as the change agent to breathe life into people and actually save them. We understand that. But I think here, at least in this context that I like the idea of restoring the soul. I think he's, he's addressing us as believers. It's the idea that the word of God revives the soul, okay, is the thought. In other words, it transforms us into the image of Christ. Now, what that word means there is it's the idea of restoring disorder. In other words, something, when you look at that word and trace it, something is decayed and it's brought back. It's the ideal of something that would move towards death and then it's brought back. It's the idea that something is sorrowful but then it's revived. The the ideal of this word here is an imparting of the newness of life. It's the ideal of bringing something back to a, a state of health. To bring it back to a point of vigor. It's the ideal of the quickening of something that has fallen asleep. It's the bringing back of the soul. It's the turning around of the soul. And here, what the Word of God is saying is that Word that you hold is so powerful, it's so awesome, it's so active that when you read it, that when you obey it, that law that is perfect has as its change agent in it to change and revive and restore your soul. So listen, whatever we're going to do going forward as you've been in your history, we're going to be about this book, right? Because when you put yourself in that book, and women, when you read that book, and mothers, when you read that book, it is going to restore and revive your soul to a place of health and to a place of vigor. That's what the Word of God does. It is alive. It is active. It is powerful. It is like a lion in a cage. Just open it up and out it comes. It will change you. It will transform you. But you've got to be in it. You've got to look at it and see what it will do. And you've got to read it, is the thought here, obviously. Look over. You can hold your, your hand there. Look over in Psalm 119, though. Do you remember in Psalm 119, that great text of scripture there and and hold it there, but is this not the thought of the psalmist in Psalm 119 in verse 25 where the psalmist said that my soul, 119, 25, my soul cleaves to the dust, revive me according to your word. Look at verse 37. Here the psalmist said, Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Look over at verse 107. 107. The psalm is replete with this idea. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. In other words, God has set up within our sanctification process the restoration of our soul. But what he uses to do that is his precious word. Look down in your Bible at verse 149 in that same chapter where he says, Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. And there's more in that psalm. I mean, George Mueller, that man of God, put it this way, the vigor, he said, of our spiritual life will be to the exact proportion to the place held in the Bible in all of our life and thoughts. So true. He said the vigor of our spiritual life will be in the exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. You've got to be in the Word. In fact, I brought the plan that I read. Maybe you'd say, I I do more than that, Pastor. I brought a few of these, a few extra. I got this off the website, the Gospel Coalition. It's reading through the Bible in two years. I like this one the best. Some of you like to read through the Bible in one year. This one, you read through the Bible in two years, and you read through Psalms twice every year and Proverbs twice every year. So in the course of two years, once through the Bible, four times through Psalms, four times through Proverbs. I've got my little twins who are 12 on this plan, okay? And I'm on the plan. But whatever plan you're in, you need to be in the word of God. My little, one of my little twins this summer read through the whole Bible in the summer, and she's 12. So listen, I don't know where you are in this, in this journey that the Lord has you on, but you gotta be in the book. And, and when you're in that book, the promise, the hope is here that it will revive and restore your soul. I remember... When I was in Chicago, I'd never been living in an area where there was snow, and we moved into this house, and one of the things I noticed is when you walked on the porch, there was this um, lamp. It was the outside lamp on the porch, and it was all rusty and just looked horrible, and I just thought, okay, we should get a new one of those, and one of the guys helping we moved in said, oh, no, that doesn't need, you don't need a new one. You just need some polish on that thing. I said, that thing is toast. Look at that. I mean, this is brutal. You know, it looked like something out of the Viking era, you know. And uh, he says, no, just take it down. He took it down. We went to the store and brought some polish. And we began to polish that thing. And sure enough, he was right on. As we polished that thing, the brass and the shine came back. And it looked as good as new with a little of that polish. Listen, as you take that word and you put that law that's perfect, and you put it inside in your soul, God promises you in the scripture that he will revive you. He will breathe new life into you. He will sanctify you. He will put you in the path of where you need to go. And maybe you say, well, Scott, I I have felt a little bit cold. Well, let me ask you, are you reading the word of God? Let me ask you, men and women, do you still have the same passion for the word as when you first got saved? Listen, your spiritual life, mine, is going to be in direct proportion to what you do with the word of God. I love what Amy Carmichael said, that great missionary. She said, the amazing thing is that everyone who reads the Bible has the same joyful thing to say about it. She said, in every land, in every language, it is the same tale that when the book is read, not with eyes only, but with the mind and heart, the life is changed. She said, sorrowful people are comforted. Sinful people are transformed. People who were in the dark walk in the light. She said, is it not wonderful to think that this book, which is such a mighty power, if it gets a chance to work in an honest heart, is in our hands today. You hold that book. We ought to be the most joyful people in this world no wonder the psalmist said in 119 verse 97 oh how i love thy what thy law he loved it why he loved it because it brought joy to his heart the psalmist said in 119 verse 77 for i love thy law it is my delight psalm 119 he said there that i love thy law why would he love the law here's why It's perfect. And the reason that he loved the law was because when he read God's word, when he read the whole counsel of God, when he poured over the psalmist, what he had at that point, the, the word of God brought joy to his heart. In fact, the psalmist said in 119, 165, those who love thy law have great peace. Certainly you could quote with me, could you not, Psalm 23, you know by heart, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... He makes me lie down in what? Green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he what? Restores my soul. So, how does the shepherd restore your soul? By the agency and by the means of the Word of God. And this is why the, Hebrew, the writer Hebrews said, Do you believe this? That the Word of God is living and what? Active, sharper than any two edged sword. Piercing as far as the divisions of soul and spirit. Listen, it's a sharp word. Some years ago, Johnny was probably there. We were on vacation and uh, we were at the beach and a bunch of little kids were there and I was telling the Bible story that day. So I gathered them all together to tell them this Bible story. I said, I have have brought with me, and I had a bag, um, the sharpest instrument in the world. Well, what is it, uncle? What is it? I said, no, you got to come to the Bible story. So I went around the house, and I gathered all the knives that I could find in this beach house. And uh, I, I found little knives. I found, you know, steak knives. Then I found cutting knives that had blades big. Then I went in the garage, and I found a hatchet, you know. And so I'd bring them out one by one, which instrument was the sharpest. And, you know, when you have show and tell like that, all the kids were right there just you know, just looking, and, and, and I kept getting bigger and greater as I went, and then I finally brought out the hatchet, you know, at the end, I'm like, whoa, touch this, no, 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 don't touch it, you know, and so, and then I said, but I saved the sharpest for the last, but I'm going to show it to you tomorrow, no, uncle, tell us now, you know, and uh, their eyes got real big, and finally I went into the, the bag, and I brought out what, the word of God, To which they all said, what's that? You know, (laughs) they didn't get it. And I went on to tell them that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, if if you want your life to change, you got to be in this book. You you know, I'm going to teach the word. We're going to do this every week. But you've got to feed on it, mommies. Your kids need to see you love this book. You high school students, you need to feed on this book because the promise of Scripture is is that when you look into it and when you obey it, it has as its agents in your life to restore you into the image of God. So it restores the soul. But let me give you a second here feature, okay? A second feature, and maybe we'll just call it a day after this. Super Bowl's coming, right? No, I mean, it's later, um, um, Psalm 19. Look at just this. this this is wonderful. This is why it's so good. It says there in verse 7, not only is the law of the Lord perfect restoring the soul, but the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. Let's begin with that distinct title there. Here, the word of God is called as you can see it, the testimony of the Lord. In other words, it is in the word of God that God appears as a testimony, a witness for truth and for righteousness. Sometimes that word testimony there in that title is translated statutes, if you've seen it that way, but the testimony. But here, what the psalmist is saying is that the word of God is, think about it this way the testimony of God. The Word of God is the testimony of God. If somebody goes into baptism and they're in the waters or before they they get baptized or you're talking with someone and you ask them, would you share your testimony with me. They would tell you, well, I grew up here. I grew up in this family. This was what my mom and dad were like. And we really didn't have a religious background. But when I was in high school, someone shared the gospel. When I was in college, someone shared the gospel. And you go through your testimony. That is your personal testimony. Here, the word of God is the testimony of God. In other words, God is saying to you, this is what I'm like. This is who I am. This is what gives me joy. This is how you can know me. The word of God is the testimony of God. In fact, maybe I shouldn't say this. It might sound a little edgy, okay? But I'm driving through the town. And I won't tell you where I was. And this is probably judgmental. But I see this family get out of the car, and they're not holding a Bible, and they're going into a church. And I thought, well, you know, Scott, maybe he's got a pocket Bible. But I thought to myself, no, 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 we're going to be all about the word, right? Because I and you want to know what God's like. Well, what he's going to tell us is this. His, his character is revealed in this book. So it's called the testimony of the Lord. Now look what it sh- says. Look at the adjective there. It says the testimony of the Lord is sure. So what does that mean? In other words, it's reliable. It's faithful is what the word means. In other words, the word of God is to be believed. It's sure. In fact, the word sure is a participle of the verb from which the adverb amen is formed. In other words, God has spoken and it is a sure Thing. I mean, this is why the psalmist said in 119.36, incline my heart to thy testimonies. Why? Because it's sure. In fact, look back over in Psalm. Let me show you that. Look at Psalm 119 again. I, I thought this is interesting. All the different places you say, well, it's called different things at different times. Well, sure it is. There's, these are distinctive titles of the word of God. And here it's called testimonies. But look at Psalm one nineteen. You'll see it in verse 36 where here the psalmist said incline my heart to your testimonies. That's Just another way to say incline my heart to your word, O Lord. Look at Psalm 119. Look over at verse 111. 111 where the psalmist said I have inherited your testimonies forever for they are the joy of my heart. Look at verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. And on he goes. You say, well, why are they wonderful? And here's why. It's sure. Aren't you glad about that? Listen, what's going to happen politically in the coming year? (laughs) We don't know, do we? And um, some of you out there are going, well, I know what should happen. Listen, we don't know. But all I know is going forward in 2012, that that book you're holding that that word that you have that that testimony of God that's in your hand is sure in other words the word of God is not on trial it is so certain that you can bank your entire life on it it is sure it's not on trial I mean, you don't have to doubt it. I'm thinking of the Apostle John, which I hope to start the the epistle of 1 John in April, where there it says, this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no, what? Darkness. Listen, that word you hold is a sure word. I can't tell you what's gonna happen on the Super Bowl today. You might have a pick, okay? We don't know what's gonna happen politically. I saw that there was a big big blow up this week on the Su- Susan Komen Foundation with planned parenthood and all the things that went on respective of that as they pulled uh, finances from that um, from planned parenthood and off I, boy it's interesting to track all that in the paper but all i know is you're holding a sure word right there you're holding a book you can trust listen i'm telling you young people why would you not hide your your eyes and your heart in this book it is a sure word it says in hebrews sixteen eight is 6 18 that it is impossible for god to lie it's true it is absolutely true in fact the psalmist said you can write this one down in 111 verse 7 that all his precepts are sure you say, well, what happens? Because it's sure. Look back in Psalm 19. What you say, what will effect will it have on me? Well, it says there in seven that the testimony of the Lord is sure, and it does this it will make wise the what? The simple. Now let's just talk about that and we'll close it out here. Make wise the simple. Now, what is the simple? He's going to say, listen, if you're in this book, it will not only revive your soul, but it will make wise somebody who's simple. And then you think, well, somebody who has like a simple faith or somebody who's simple-minded. Sometimes we could mean that in a very positive way, but that's not the teaching here in this scripture. When you have somebody here, verse 7, that's simple, in the scripture, the Hebrews looked at that as someone who was naive. Someone who was simple was naive. Someone who was simple was someone in the word of God who was foolish. In other words, the simple-minded in the scripture was someone who was open to the entrance of good or evil, would be the thought. In other words, they're open to persuasion. You might even say of a young person, they are easily seduced, would be the thought. They're taken away. In fact, it says in Proverbs 14, 15, that the naive believes everything. That's the best way to see it. Someone who's simple is naive, and who is naive is the one who believes everything. In other words, there's no discernment in that young man or that young woman. In fact, Proverbs 7, 7 says... That I saw among the naive and discerned the use a young man lacking sense. That's the thought here. It's a young man lacking sense. So it refers to those who need guidance, to those whose minds are easily opened, if you will, easily inclined, and without wisdom of their own. I remember sharing the gospel with someone down at UCLA in Westwood one time. And they introduced themselves to me as an open-minded philosopher. And I thought there could be nothing further from the truth, right? If you're open to everything, then you're open to both truth and error. So here, you got someone who's simple. They're open to be persuaded. But watch this. Look at the text again in verse 7. For somebody who's in this book, it will make what? Wise the simple If you want to be a wise mother, if you want to be a wise man, if you want to be a wise student, then you take this book and it will give you a wisdom, David said, beyond his teachers. David said in Psalm 119 that he was smarter than all of his teachers because he loved the Word of God. In fact, Psalm 119 verse 130 says, the unfolding of thy Word gives light and it gives understanding to the simple, don't you want to be wise? Don't you want to be a godly father? Don't you want to be a godly mother? Don't you want to be a godly single man, a godly single woman? Then listen, you will go no further than obedience to this because God's going to use this to grant you wisdom. You say, well, what is wisdom here? Wisdom, you understand, is the ability to navigate life. Um, from God's perspective. I liken wisdom like this. If wisdom is this, if I'm looking, and I'm looking at one of those mazes, right? One of those, uh, those scary mazes at Halloween, and you go down this door, then you go down this door, then you go down that door, you know, and you never get out, and then they scare you. But if you have wisdom, okay, wisdom is the ability, is this okay I do this? This is pretty bold. Um, wisdom is the ability, if you are seen above something, and you can see somebody down in the maze, and you can say, oh, no, 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 no. Turn around, come back, go right, and you will exit out that way. But it's your ability to see above something. When I think of what biblical wisdom is, biblical wisdom is the ability to see above the things on earth and the mundane and apply the Word of God to your life because you can see it lived out. And here's the promise. If you're in the book, if you're in the book, He's going to give you wisdom. He's not going to just give me wisdom as the pastor. He's going to give you wisdom. You're going to be a godly man. You could be a godly woman. You could be a godly mother. It will take you, if you're open too easily in your mind, and give you the wisdom that comes from God. I'm thinking of Proverbs 10.8, where it said, The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined so if you want to be a wise parent a wise student a wise pastor then know and obey this book and a bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't and um i read the book johnny where are you stand up for a second um i didn't tell him i was going to do this and uh johnny what are you reading in the word right now brother He's gonna kill me afterward for this. Okay, some of you are like man. Are you gonna do this every week? Oh yeah, Brent Lundy. I might. Call. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Johnny, what are you reading now? Tell him what you're reading. In one year. That's good. Now I don't like that one. Now, I'm just telling you. I mean, it's the Bible, right? But if you looked at his Bible afterward, he's got like 10 pieces of white paper that he uses as his guide, and he's in 10 different chapters every single day. Some people love it. That Obviously, he's in the Word, but he's moving around. I like my two-year plan because I like to sit, read, soak at it a little bit, read it a little bit. I'm in Proverbs. I'm in Psalms. Uh, sometimes I felt like with me, the one-year Bible plan, I'd get behind five days, then I'd be on the speed reading course to catch up. But... But wherever wherever you're at, you need to be in your word. Because I promise you this, whatever's going to happen at Grace Church of the Valley is going to be to the degree that we're transformed in our heart by the word of God, right? I mean, whatever's going to happen isn't going to necessarily be me. Like you think, Scott, do you feel nervous? No, I'm not nervous at all. I'm wondering what we're going to do together. I'm wondering when I see moms in the word and then when I see little children in the word and when I get up and I start my fire in the morning, out comes my little twin and she's in the word and my little twin read the Bible in one year, I just praise the Lord because I know it's gonna give her wisdom that leads to salvation, right? 2 Timothy, and it's gonna give her wisdom in life. Listen, parents, one of the greatest things you can do is give your kids a love for the word of God, right? But as we're in this word, can you imagine what's going to happen in this valley? Can you imagine what will happen in our life? You know, I used to look back. This just for me, you know that scripture where it says in Acts 6, 4, that the apostles were to give themselves to the word and to what? Prayer. I used to think that that was like my pastoral duty. I don't think that anymore. I need to be in the word and I need to be in prayer because I'll have nothing to give you if I'm not, right? And so the Lord uses that in my life as a change agent, but it needs to be that way for you. So listen, if you want your heart revived, read and obey the book. If you want wisdom, listen, you don't have to read up on the latest strategy of what some Uh, radio person says or maybe what some guru says. You read the Word of God and you'll be wiser than all your teachers. But listen, take this book. Love this book. If you're not in a plan, I brought a few of these with me. Get in something. And let me say this too. There was a little announcement in the bulletin for the Shepherds Conference. I'd love you to go. For you men coming up in March, if you can go please come. I'm teaching a little bit at it, but you come. We'd love to hang out more on that. Contact Jeremy. It was in there. We'd love to have you be there and just spend more time with you, okay? Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll be dismissed. Maybe just as your head is bowed, oh, some of you have been in the Word, and you're just so faithful to it, and just thank the Lord for that. And you're changing, and you're growing. Thank Him for that. You're not what you should be, not what you could be, but the Lord is molding you into His image. Praise Him for that. Ask Him to help you continue that. Some of you, on the other hand, have been in the Lord for a long time, but you look at your intake of the Word of God, and it's not what it used to be. It's inconsistent at best. Listen, you can change that habit today. You need to put this word in your heart. You need to get to a point of desperation, as Jesus said, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Look unto the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the face of his greatest temptation was quoting the Scripture, who upon the cross said, Father, forgive them. And if your and my precious Lord was so dependent on the book... Then, how could we not be? Ask him to give you love for that word. Maybe you're a young man. Listen, you can't live on dad's faith, you can't live on mom's faith. I'm asking you is it yours? Are you in that book? Young women, I'd ask you that too.